Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from May 8th, 2022. Thank you and God bless. Morning, Ackland Avenue. It's good to see you all. Welcome today. And happy Mother's Day to all our mothers out there. It's good to see you. Uh, we'll begin today with a reading from Acts 9, 36 through 43. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with a request. Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Let us pray. Lord of life and death, we come to you and we give you our lives today, thankful for the life that you give. Uh, as we worship you today, may our hearts overflow uh, with thanks and our praise. May we see you for who you are, the maker and creator of us, the God whom we are not. We thank you for this community and we pray that you will bless us and the church the world over as we gather uh, to meet, uh, to remember and to practice this uh, risen yet crucified life that you have given us in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Three hundred sixty-two. Three six two.
Yeah. 
who are hurting. Pray for Lacey students. Pray for the people who are undergoing cancer treatment, who are healing from physical harm and from stressors. We know that you are with us and we, we pray that you show us how to be, be more present for others and to trust in you. Amen. Five hundred sixty four. Six two zero. 
Get a little sip of water here. I've been dealing with this for about two weeks. Jesus, the loving shepherd, calleth me now to come into the fold of safety where there is. strength of manhood, come in the horn of youth, enter the fold of safety, enter the way of truth, lovingly, tenderly calling is he, wanderer, wanderer, come unto me, patiently waiting there, standing I my shepherd divine, Jesus the loving shepherd gave his dear life for thee. Tenderly now he's calling, wanderer come to me, haste for without his danger, come Christ the shepherd bless.
Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's a festive time in Jerusalem. Countless pilgrims, including Jesus, are flocking to the city to celebrate the Feast of Dedication, or, as most of us know it, Hanukkah. Hanukkah was a very important holiday in Jesus' day. Almost two centuries earlier, Jerusalem was brutally attacked by the Syrian global superpower. <coughs> King Vladimir Putin, I mean King Antiochus IV, <laughs> began a campaign of persecution that ended in the violent invasion of Jerusalem and the outright massacre of thousands of civilians in their homes. But instead of submitting to the persecution, uh, they fought back. The Jews, led by a priest named Judah, have later hailed as savior to his people led the citizens in a guerrilla warfare campaign. They took on the might of the whole Syrian army, and God ultimately gave them the victory. They drove out the army, took back their land, they rededicated their temple and uh, purified it, and brought peace to their homeland again. And now in John's Gospel, we see a far greater savior a priest in the greatest sense of the word, walking through the same temple ground. And let's look at what happened. This morning's scripture reading in our series on doubt is John 10, 22 through 30, which you can find printed in the bulletin. If you would like, feel free in joining me in reading the bold faith sections together. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You may be seated. So here he is, Messiah, the ultimate leader and liberator of God's people, walking through the temple that is a foreshadow of himself. And when the people see him there, they surround him and they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And when I first read this passage, I thought it was a reasonable question asked in the same spirit of the folks who asked John the Baptist if he was the Messiah. I felt like it was a question that I might ask if I had been there. 
And so Jesus' response, you do not believe because you are not my sheep, really troubled me. It sounded <coughs> like if I ever had doubts, I might not be one of Jesus' sheep. But that's not going on here. Uh, that's not what's going on here. It's the context of the book and also Jesus' response shows. These aren't well-intentioned people who are looking for clarity. These people want to track him. So all through Jesus' ministry, his opponents have been trying to goad him into admitting that he was the Messiah, a, a term that had become loaded with political and military overtones so that they could use his word against him. It was a title that Jesus had always deftly avoided using in front of the crowds. So when he says, I did tell you, he's not referring to an outright statement, but he had also been making it crystal clear to anyone who was paying attention that he was absolutely Israel's Messiah. For starters, he had been making public declarations about himself that started with the phrase, I am, which was the Hebrew personal name of God. Statements like, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the resurrection and life, and this continues through the whole book. Even, I am the good shepherd, which is a famous depiction of God throughout scripture that pretty much is as explicit as you could get without actually saying the magic words that will get him arrested. Not to mention the ringing de declaration that almost got him stoned. Before Abraham was, I am. So the Jews hadn't misunderstood him. They recognized his meaning perfectly well they just refused to accept it. So Jesus gave them signs and wonders. As he says in today's texts, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Jesus had spent his entire ministry performing countless mighty acts of power and healing, signs which should have clued anyone in immediately that he was truly from God. And sure, there were con artists during Jesus' time doing fake miracles, but none of them could pull off the feats that John records, uh, turning 150 gallons of water into top-tier wine healing a guy who's been paralyzed for decades, producing enough food uh, out of nowhere for 5,000 families. Every mighty work he did practically shouted, Messiah. But Jesus' opponents just couldn't stomach his vision of the Messiah as a suffering servant. It clashed with their political and military model of what the Messiah should be. So when Jesus did the unprecedented and healed a man that had been born blind, you don't see them rejoicing and thanking God. You see them interrogating the man and his family and pressuring him to renounce Jesus. And then when the man declares that anyone wielding godlike power must have come from God, duh, they verbally abuse him kick him out of the synagogue. So in the end, 
It didn't matter what Jesus said or did. They'd made up their minds not to believe him, no matter what. In fact, in the very next verse, which we didn't read, uh, they'll try to stone him again. Ironically, trying to kill their long-awaited deliverer of the nation at a festival about national deliverance. They'd hardened themselves to the point where they couldn't recognize God when he was staring them in the face, literally. And that's the difference between healthy skepticism and hardening your heart against God. Everyone has doubts from time to time. We all will, at one point or another, grapple with issues about God and truth. It's just part of the human experience. And Jesus doesn't say, my sheep never have doubts. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. They follow me. And it's these sheep that Jesus wants us to identify with. Yes, we do sometimes have doubts, but the good news is that we don't have to have all the answers. The Bible is full of examples of people wrestling with their doubts, God openly invited them, as he invites us, to vent our confusion and our frustration to him. We don't have to have every question resolved in our minds and every uncertainty put to rest. We just have to listen and follow. So our calling is to open our hearts and listen, which, of course, is usually easier said than done. Sure, we can listen to God through reading the Bible, through prayer and contemplation, and through these avenues, God certainly has a lot to say. But if you're like me, you've sometimes found yourself wanting something more tangible. Uh, just like a lot of the people throughout the Bible ask God for a special sign, and a lot of times God gave it to them. I've thought to myself before, man, the first century Jews really had it kind of easy. They had undeniable proof. Like they had Jesus right there in front of them, teaching and working amazing miracles. They could see him healing their sick buddies, walking on water, telling thunderstorms to knock it off, raising verified cadavers from the dead. I mean, Man, and maybe you've been one of those people, most of us have, who thought, I believe, but I wish God would just give me a sign, like an authentic, bona fide miracle, something unmistakable that, that couldn't possibly be faked, something to ease my doubts and to give me that last little bit of proof that all this stuff in the Bible really is true. But... The Bible says that God's already given us all the proof we need. Even without miracles, even without the Bible, God's existence, and not just his existence, but also his character, should be obvious. Romans 1 says that since the time of the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made. 
And I think we really need to take this seriously. So when I was 10 years old, my father took me to a Christian evidences seminar. It was incredible. For hours, the man talked about how God has woven his signs and wonders through the entire fabric of creation. He began with the origin of the cosmos and how the latest finding of astronomers and mathematicians and other scientists all fell into perfect alignment with the Genesis 1 account. He went into breathtaking detail about galaxy expansion, star formation, and how impossibly fine-tuned every part of our solar system was. He went on to talk about the complexity of amino acids, uh, the migration patterns of, of birds, and the insanely marvelous anatomy of the eye of a turtle, and the miracle of human intelligence. And I sat and listened wide-eyed, with my mind racing with excitement and my heart burning inside me. It was a foundational moment in my faith journey perhaps the most profound one I ever had. Years later, this experience led me to one of the most captivating books I've ever read, Show Me God by Frank Huron, which goes into deep, intricate, glorious detail about how science and nature and the cosmos overwhelmingly point to a creator who is not only brilliant, but is also deliberate, meticulous, and deeply caring. And how so many scientists continue to be driven by their observations to renounce atheism and become Christians. You should check it out. At the end of this factual book is a fictitious short story, which is perhaps the best modern day parable I've ever read. <laughs> the story is about a man named Mark who, at one point, when it's very low point in his life, he, he looks up at the stars and for the first time in his life, he prays. He says, God, if you're there, can you show me a sign? A big sign so I can be sure it's really you? And when he waits and nothing happens, oh, okay, maybe then just a little sign. And he keeps waiting, and as there's no response, Mark decides that if there is a God out there, then he's as cold and silent as outer space. A few years later, circumstances lead him to fundraising for extraterrestrial research. And he meets with a potential uh, a wealthy donor. His pitch is going pretty well, and the guy seems interested in the subject, and the potential donor asks, so when you do find a signal out there, how do you know it's from an intelligent source and not just something natural like a pulsar? And Mark explains to him, well, if we get a message in, say, Morse code, then we know it had to be the result of intelligent design. Nature cannot produce specific intricate patterns through random chance. 
even if it takes us a while to break the code, we'll know right away that there's an intelligence behind it. And the guy says, oh, okay, like the specific intricate pattern in hemoglobin. And Mark's like, what? And the guy's like, yeah, and he starts shuffling through papers. I've been reading about the calculations of Hoyle, and uh, okay, here, uh, the chance of a uh, completely random string of amino acids lining up to create the first hemoglobin protein is one chance in 10 to the 850th power, and there's only 10 to the 80th power number of atoms in the universe. And Marsh just speechless, kind of derailed, and the guy keeps going, oh, oh, and the code of DNA, it's even more ridiculous. Even in the simplest microorganism, it's one chance in 10 to the 78,000th power. I mean, this has got to be a sign of intelligence, right? Uh, and the guy goes, you know, maybe the answer that you've been looking for has been staring you in the face the whole time. What if you already have proof of extraterrestrial intelligence? And if you have, can you accept it? And then, three weeks later, the world is sent reeling with the news that the greatest discovery of all time, a message from outer space has in fact been detected. It's not a hoax. And the discoveries made not by Mark's organization or any astronomer, not by anybody who's earned it or is expecting it. It's a seven-year-old girl who looks through an observatory telescope for the first time with her class. The signal comes from a faraway source in a faraway star system flashing out a pattern in, wait for it, Morse code. To top it all off, they then discover that it looks an awful lot like a language on Earth, Hebrew. And the world holds its breath as the message is decoded. And when it is, it reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But the story continues, the news explodes across the world, and all the talk shows are interviewing rabbis and <coughs> pastors and priests. But what's really interesting is the reaction of the scientific community. Some scientists say, okay, the signal is consistent with the possibility of a god. And others say, well, it just doesn't contradict the possibility of a god. Others say the signal must have been broadcasting forever in an infinite loop. Many just say it's an astonishing coincidence. And some say it's a hoax from an advanced alien race who picked up our signals and is beaming it back to us to try to make us think they're God. Maybe they want to enslave us. And uh, Muslims and Hindus are upset that the signal is not from their holy books. A lot of Christians are upset that the text isn't from the approved King James Version. And uh, most scientists want to defend this great discovery, but they can't face the possibility that God himself is the extraterrestrial intelligence that they've been looking for. But for countless open-minded folks who just <coughs> want to figure out the truth, the message sparks an entirely different reaction. And then, 
the message changes. And if you want to know the ending, I know someone who has a copy of the book. <laughs> right now we got to move on. But why did I just spend so much time talking about all that, a short story? Uh, it's not like I'm trying to convince anyone in the room that God exists. When I first read it, I, it really rang true for me, and it still does today, especially in light of today's scripture, where Jesus' opponents, who have been showered with signs and wonders, refuse to accept him. Human nature hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. Some people will always choose to ignore God's signs and wonders, no matter how great the evidence is. And you children and teens, you've grown up in the church, but not everybody who shares our faith, uh, not everybody shares our faith. And as you continue into adulthood, you'll encounter people who will question parts of your faith or say things that will plant seeds of doubt in your mind. And when this happens, when this doubt comes, because at some point it will, don't be intimidated by it. Embrace the challenge. It's okay to grapple with the hard stuff. First Thessalonians says, test everything. Hold on to what is good. And one day, if Satan does attack your faith at its core, and he tells you that the Christian God exists in the Bible and nowhere else, don't be afraid to go out there and look at God's creation and see if what God says about it is true. The Bible has already told us that we can find God's fingerprints far and wide scattered across every particle of creation. And if you look for him out there, you'll find him at the end of every path. In any field of science you like, chemistry, biology, mathematics, geology, quantum physics, you name it. God has lavishly strewn his signs and wonders. They may take on a different form than Jesus' first century miracles, but they're every bit as powerful and convicting. Keep praying, keep reading the Bible, and remember also that God has put his miracles out there for you to find. And he's given you the research tools to find them. So go, explore, examine the evidence, be dazzled by God's glory. For me, the evidence of nature is more than enough. The existence of God and his caring nature is ironclad, but where my faith sometimes tanks, and the same might be true for some of you, is sometimes I'll look around and see everything that is broken in the world, and I'll feel dismayed by all of my own imperfections, and I'll start wondering how God can possibly take all this wrong and work it out for good in the end. I don't doubt it with my head, but I doubt it with my heart, my fluctuating erratic emotions. And I've heard a number of people say things that are pretty similar. We know God's promises for us, but sometimes we put conditions on them. I'm a believer, but do I believe enough? Is my faith strong enough to even be called one of the sheep who listens? With all my doubts and insecurities 
and I have faithful enough follower to earn a place in his flock? And the answer, of course, is no. We're not faithful enough. We're not good enough. No one is. We don't listen or follow well enough. It was never about our perfection. It was always about God's faithfulness, his promise, and his grace. When Jesus walked the earth, he gave his people signs and wonders so they could believe that he was the real deal and that everything he said was true. Today, God has bombarded us with signs and wonders so that we can believe what he says is true. And here's what our shepherd says is true about his flock. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So whatever your doubts or weaknesses or whatever it is that Satan likes to exploit, remember that your Messiah, the same Jesus who co-created the universe in all of its intricate vastness, has his eye trained on you. And this is what he wants you to know. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So at the end of the day, we can let our doubts be put to rest. We can have complete confidence <coughs> in our Creator. He claims us. He cherishes us. And no one in all of his marvelous universe and tear us from his care. Fear not, little flock. If you would, let's stand as we sing. Teach me thy way, O Lord, teach me thy way. Thy Shine through the clouds.
what the room is going to be like. You don't know the situation. Um, the church experience, the gospel, the good news, it's often familiar and it's often unfamiliar. It's often comforting and, and it's often um, discomforting. Um, you know, the, the Lord has a way of making us so welcome and yet at times we're challenged. And, uh, you know, you can even look at the scriptures from this morning. We have, um, you know, we have green pastures and still waters. But then we have other times, like the passage in Revelations, where he's like, what's going on? Or, 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 in, or again, in Psalms, when, he's, when the Lord is preparing a table for us in front of our enemies, uh, which may be us, actually, at times, but I, I don't know. But um, you think about that. Um, we, often, we often know things, and we often really don't know things. And so, I mean, this is one of the things that I love about communion, is because... Um, even people who don't believe, people who, or people who are just new to this whole thing, what is going on here? <laughs> they know what it is to feel comfort from food. We know what it is to, 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 to have that familiar feeling. And we do this every week here. So those of us that come here, we, we're very familiar with this. <laughs> this is a comforting thing. It was missed during the pandemic. Um, it's, it's comforting. And yet at the same time, we're about to think about eating Jesus' body and drinking his blood. We're thinking about how God sacrificed his son, um, and, and that's echoed in, in metaphor with the Passover lambs being slain. And John, there's a lot to think about that's confusing and mysterious and strange and might make us feel really weird. And it probably should make us feel really weird. I think sometimes that's how we get better at this. Right? How God works on us is discomfort. Um, that's the first step in, in any kind of change, right? Discomfort, discontent. Um, so what I would pray for you all is that we would all feel comfort and discomfort at this time. We would all be comforted by this food and by the notion that we have a loving Almighty Father God who cares for us and sent His Son to heal and to teach um, and to, to love people and to laugh with people. But at the same time, we stand before an eternal existence that God has welcomed us into. So let's pray. Holy Father, we are so grateful and thankful for this bread, which represents your son's body that was broken for us. Be with us now as we consume and we meditate and we just sit um, in your mystery and your comfort. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Likewise, let's give thanks for the, for the, the cup. Holy Father, we thank you for this cup. It represents your son's body that was, sorry, your, your son's blood, which was shed for us. God, we thank you for your blessings and your grace and your mercy. Go with us this week and may we be more like Jesus. It's a new pray. Amen. Seven hundred fifty six. Seven five six. And you're not going to believe this, but I'd like for us to stand again. <laughs> Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Walk the pilgrim pathway, 
working every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will us for the life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be.
Please go with us this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. morning church we try to uh, say this often as an eldership but we believe that if you are with us this morning uh, whether you're visiting with us whether you've been here for five years whether you've been here your whole life uh, if you have come into these doors we believe the spirit has led you here for a reason Amen. Um, this morning we see evidence of that uh, Stina was it I don't know five, six, seven years ago, time is long, but uh, Stina was looking for a new church and, and she heard somebody tell her, hey, why don't you go uh, see this place, Ackland Avenue? They're, they're kind of weird, but um, Amen. go check them out. And uh, here you are this morning uh, bringing the message to us. And, and so we believe that the spirit has led you here and we are thankful for you. Uh, we're thankful for all of you, and, and do hear us say that out loud. Um, whether you uh, fully believe that, or you're like, I'm not sure what my place is, we believe that the Spirit has led you there. Um, Ackland is a book church. I love nothing more than for somebody to say, hey, this is my favorite book. Um, I've had the experience a couple times in the last couple years of reading those books that people love so much, and being like, this this explains so much, right? Um, I'm certain that Stina would love to uh, talk more about that book. Uh, Christian Evidences has uh, maybe been met with some skepticism in the last couple decades. Um, one of the things that I uh, appreciate as a scientist is when you talk to a scientist about the things they know. Um, a real scientist is much more excited about telling you about the things that they don't know yet. Right? To say, hey, here are some things we have evidences of and some things that have been revealed to us. And man, it has brought up so many questions and, and we embrace those questions. So see Stina, uh, I'm sure she would love to uh, uh, tell you more uh, about that book. We've got some birthdays today. Uh, reach out to Mark Green. It is his birthday today. Um, they moved down to Chapel Hill a couple years ago, but we definitely uh, think of them often and wish them a happy birthday. Mark, if you're listening on the podcast, happy birthday, my friend. Uh, likewise, some anniversaries this week, Dave and Christy, 25 years. Um, that seems like a long time ago. That is quantifiably a long time ago, so happy, happy anniversary. Uh, likewise, to Mark and Shelley, who I don't see them this morning, they're probably working. Uh, anniversary number six, so welcome. Um, JP mentioned last week, uh, and obviously with Stina preaching this morning, JP's on sabbatical this month. Um, so this is about, uh, he's actually been here a little longer than 10 years, um, but we wanted him to be able to take some time uh, for sabbatical. That is going to be during this month of May. Um, please keep him and, and their entire family in, in your prayers. Um, it, it, as they go through this process. Um, we think that that's going to be good for all of us, not just not just them. Um, this week at Randy and Robbie's house on Wednesday uh, for Brown Bag and Fellowship at 5.30, so we'd love to see you there. Um, we are looking for teachers for the summer quarter. 
um, see Laura Sullivan. We still have about a month there, um, but if you're willing to volunteer, she's sent out a list or you're welcome to reach out to her as well. Um, there is nothing on our calendar that requires you to sign up or you know fill out forms or get things notarized. I feel like that's been a minute since that's been the case. But coming up this Saturday, the 14th, pretty much all day here at the building, uh, we're going to have a game day, Ackland Unplugged, uh, led by our very own Jonathan Gibson. Um, come for some fun times. Um, that, that should be a lot of fun. Is there anything else this morning, church? Okay. Well, thank you again for being with us. We've got coffee and donuts downstairs. Go this. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.